you know, I live in a really white affluent suburb and yet when I'm walking around, I realize that it's not as white and as rich and privileged maybe as I imagined. So I think we can always be reminded of what is actually there versus what's a kind of our mental perception of our place. Ashley Hales is the author of a brand new book called Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. Uh, Ashley and her husband are also church planters, so before we pressed record, we had a lot to talk about with that. Ashley's a writer, speaker, and mother of four kids. She has a PhD in English from the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. And her writing has been featured in Books and Culture, the Inglewood Review of Books, the Gospel Coalition, and Christianity Today. I enjoy this conversation about how to be in community and how to practice and receive hospitality uh, in the suburbs, uh, which is something that people don't usually talk about these days, Uh, how to do it, how how to be good neighbors when there is no perceived out loud need around you. So enjoy this conversation. Uh, I did. And then go out and buy Ashley's book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much by Ashley Hales. Everybody, welcome to This Good Word. Steve Weens, as always, I'm here with Ashley Hales. Hi, Ashley. It's good to be here, Steve. Man, I, I've been looking forward to talking to you because ever since I um, I saw that your book was coming out, uh, which is called Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much, uh, I thought, oh man, I mean, I was hooked. I was, I was hooked right away. Oh, um, great. So, uh, so let's get right into it. So I want to ask you first about, you write uh, about this nagging sense that many Christians have that we have to live these extraordinary lives, but really mm-hmm. we're afraid that our lives are just kind of ordinary. So, um, vamp on that a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, I think I grew up in kind of this youth group culture about if you were really serious about God, that meant you went on short-term missions trips. You like would maybe possibly like move to Africa or at least like downtown LA and that that was kind of the way that you served God. And here I am, you know, thinking, oh, great, my husband's a pastor, we're church planting. Like, in some ways, my life can look pretty, quote unquote, extraordinary. But I've found that no matter where you live, suburbs, cities, around the world, like, we each have to make dinner and do the laundry and be a good neighbor. And so what does it look like? What are the practices even in our suburban places, because that's where I've found ourselves. Um, yeah, what are our, what are the practices that help us to be good neighbors and that point other people to Jesus instead of feeling like, you know, the calling on us as Christians is to do grandiose things for God? <laughs> where do you think that comes from? I mean, honestly, like what, because I grew up with the same thing. And yeah. it's like, you know, junior high kids committing their whole lives to missions when they're 13. Uh, yeah. And then they're brought up to yeah. the front and like sort of, you know, extolled their virtues. And so, I mean, yeah. where, like what, what, where did that come from? I, you know, I don't know if it's just kind of this idealization of the missionary kind of trope that we've gotten or like everyone watched Chariots of Fire and like, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was like culturally what was happening in the 70s and 80s and like that we were kind of defining ourselves as separate from the culture. Um, but then it just kind of grew this. I don't know, like 
it grew this subculture of like everything had to be bigger and better and smoke machines and fancy stuff and like, you know, true love weights. And it's just a whole host of subcultural issues that we're kind of reeling from now, I think. Um, and I think the church and the church has always been so great at helping people live their lives well if we are committed to you know, going to church, to reading our Bibles, to being in community, to giving to the poor. Um, but I think, yeah, there is just this kind of 90s, for sure, like what would Jesus do bracelet culture that has really, I think for those of us who grew up with that, we've had to kind of unlearn that, but also learn that, you know, there's some good things there too. Um, but the challenge, I think, for all of us is to figure out you know, what do I do when it's Monday mm-hmm. and or Friday, like it is now that we're recording and I have eight minutes, like I was just saying to Steve earlier, <laughs> to like go watch my kid in his jogathon. You know, how am I present there and a good neighbor there, but also do good work and all of it matters. Yeah. Well, I totally agree with that. And I think, um, you know, in the church plant world, it's interesting. I'm not sure how it is in Southern California where you live. But in Minneapolis, there's actually quite a few church plants. And I, I, I see this sort of trend that, um, you know, white guys like me mm-hmm. feel like they, they now we, we did not plant our church um, in an urban area. We, we planted it suburban because we sort of knew who we were. But I'm but I'm yeah. seeing this, you know, <laughs> like it's it's yeah, well, um, no, but I'm, I'm and I'm sure you're seeing this, too. But there is this sort of compulsion t- for white guys like me younger <laughs> than me typically to plant their church in urban areas because mm-hmm. it's kind of mm-hmm. sexy or it's super. And I, I, you know, if there's a call in someone's life to do that, great. But I really do sort of question that kind of even colonialism slash like church plant uh, gentrification almost, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's connected a little bit, like, do you have any gentle critique to (laughs) people who feel like it's urban or it doesn't count? Yes. You know, I think I was kind of in that camp a little bit. Like I, I like urban light, you know, where there's still like, you still can have a yard maybe or a house. Um, and you know, I thought, when we were living in Salt Lake City and doing college ministry, I was like, this is great. Like we have all the benefits of a city and yet we have a neighborhood that we belong to and it felt really comfortable. And obviously there's challenges wherever you are. But when we moved back to the suburbs, I had to kind of reckon with my own snobbishness of place. Um, And especially because we grew up in these suburbs. So um, it it wasn't just a suburb, it was also coming home, which is its own challenge. And, you know, I think there's been so many wonderful things to help us think missionally about the city. I know like Tim Keller's work has been hugely instrumental for us as we've thought through how do you contextualize the gospel to your place. But I think, unfortunately, some of those sort of city center movements have meant that we have idealized the city as the place of mission or and rather than see that all places are broken. Right. And all places are beautiful and point to something good about God's created order. And so the challenge is for us to not like only see the city as the place of cultural transformation or only see the city about where people need the gospel, but to realize that every place is broken and every place can point people to Jesus. And we simply have to like show up and be good neighbors Mm -hmm. and to learn and practice the discipline of loving our place. And it might not come as naturally maybe in the suburbs for some people, or it might come more naturally in the suburbs and less naturally in the city. 
Well, that sounds like really like sort of you have a pretty well-developed theology of place. So um, how did you develop that and how did it evolve over time? Mm -hmm. I think place has really been the kind of framework that I've used to understand my life kind of unknowingly. Um, I was pretty, uh, we, I, my parents live in the same home that I came home from the hospital to. Wow. And so I was quite rooted. Um, but then once I went away to college, um, I studied at Oxford. Um, my husband and I moved around a lot. We did grad school in Scotland. And like, I think this, it was primarily when we lived overseas, when we lived in Scotland that I realized like, wow, I am a foreigner, <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously. And um, you know, there's a challenge to living long term in a place that doesn't fit you naturally. And how do you and it became not only something that I lived with, but also kind of the impetus for my Ph.D. dissertation in literature where I was studying immigration narratives of Scottish immigrants in the 1700s. And because I wanted to know, like, how do people understand their place? How does that affect their the way that they think about themselves? What does that look like in literature? And so um, moving home then to the suburbs was a way for me to figure out, really to press into this question of if a place doesn't naturally suit me or if my circumstances, even though they're good, is God good in those sort of situations? Or if my circumstances are, you know, don't quite jive with my personal vision of my life, is God good? Mm-hmm. And and choosing and practicing places and in my body and through the writing of this book to say, yes, I believe God is good. Um, I believe that he is like that father in the parable of the prodigal sons who runs to meet his kids, either if they are lost and left him or if they're like lost and they stay really close by. And so really, I think my development of a theology of place has been the practical discipline of of pressing into those portions of scripture where God says that he is good and that he has a plan and that, um, that all of these things are to form us more into the likeness of Christ. And therefore that is the good life, no matter where we actually put down our roots. Yeah. And I think there's a temptation. That's, that's really good. Uh, there's a temptation at least that I have. And I think a lot of people have, um, sort of that, that, that it's always out there. (laughs) Like, like Mm -hmm. God's, God's goodness depends on me finding Mm -hmm. that, that, that unique calling that must be something other than what I'm doing right now. must be something Mm -hmm. more extraordinary than I'm doing right now versus, you know, heading over to watch the jogathon of your your kid. Um, and so do you have practices that you suggest for people to sort Mm -hmm. of remind themselves that they are rooted in place and that God is good in that place? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot for me has been um, kind of the discipline of silence. Um, I try to just start out my day with silence and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> no one <laughs> but, is. Oh, uh, no. But just to say, you know, like, just that you know, the world does not depend on me and I can yeah. be quiet, you know, and to participate in what God is already doing. And it's just a practical way to do that. Um, but then kind of more active disciplines is we walk our neighborhood all the time. Um, we are really lucky to live in a very, it was this master plan community early two thousands when everything was booming before every other, you know, the housing market collapsed. And so we have a ton of like walking paths all throughout our neighborhood. And so I have really made that a discipline to, to walk and pray for my place. 
um, and to implicate myself in the sins of my place and the sins of my culture, because I know, you know, as I walk past the million dollar home that like my heart can be envious. And so to walk and pray for those people, to pray for my own heart, to confess and repent and to also then notice notice the needs, right? If we're walking in the streets, we, we see who's out. We see who needs help. We see, um, you know, I live in a really white affluent suburb. And yet when I'm walking around, I realize that it's not as white and as rich and privileged maybe as I imagine. So I think we can always be reminded of what is actually there versus what's a kind of our mental perception of our place. Yeah. So good. walking, silence, you know, regular disciplines of hospitality, eating together where I am too. It's, you know, everyone wants to make a to do kind of thing. And so it's really important just to have really normal, average, low bar hospitality, like, Hey, come on over. We're grilling hot dogs and, you know, bring a drink or something. Um, because everything else has to be a production. So we kind of try to counter some of those tendencies of our culture. Yeah, talk talk more about that because uh, one of your chapters is all about I think it's something like Pinterest free hospitality right. or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So so good. Um, you know, talk about maybe even share a story where you invited someone over and it really was just hot dogs and and easy peasy and maybe something you know maybe the house wasn't totally clean. I mean, like, do you actually do that? I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, right. instead of like writing pretty sentences about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how does that? Well, you know, and we all we are all, all mixed bags, but 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 right. um, but I, I think it is a courageous person that is just willing to not put on their Sunday best, so to speak, and mm-hmm. to not make sure the house is super clean because that prevents us actually from. Um, sharing our lives with people because anyway, so like, yeah. how do you yeah, actually so do that? that? Like? What's yeah. that? Um, I mean, I have a tendency, it's like my kids junk and mess and like stinky socks all over the stairs that like get my blood boiling. And yeah. so that is my huge area of growth is trying as much as I can. Like last night we were hosting Bible study in our house and you know, I'm like, okay, everybody, we have to come down and clean the room. The kids are going to be in because like, God forbid, you know, two-year-old sees the junk that you just toss in your bed in the middle of the night. Um, and so that I, those are, those are my growth points yeah. <laughs> it's, is, it's just the tidiness, um, of feeling like I can't, it's hard to feel like, okay, I can welcome people into this space and this is what it really looks like. Yeah. This is who we really are. It's kind of slobby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, the times that we have, um, and I do want to like pick up for people because well, sure. I, you know, that does like say, Hey, I value your time. Um, and I know we're all a little bit more sane when the house is picked up, but, um, but, you know, I think it looks a lot like, um, you know, we try to do certain things where like we have a neighborhood, we just started a neighborhood Christmas party last year. And what we just said was like, Hey, everybody bring something from Trader Joe's. And so it's like, all we do is provide a few beverage options and then everyone shows up with a bunch of stuff from Trader Joe's. So even though it's like a party and festive and stuff, it really kind of lowers the bar on like requirements and what that might look like. Um, but even just like average stuff, we we have a few families in our neighborhood we've gotten to know. And yeah, we've done bigger things like Fourth of July and we make fancy milkshakes or whatever. But um, a lot of times it's just something really small like that, even if it is like one little fancy thing like 
the the milkshakes that were like red, white, and blue is yeah. just to be like, hey, we're just going to bring it out and we're going to be out on the street. And so you're like, even if you have something that's thoughtful and kind and maybe fancy, then it's also like, hey, we're just hanging out and it's normal. Mm-hmm. So we've done that a lot with our neighbors. We've just said like, hey, bring a lawn chair. Um, you know, my my 11 year old has like a playlist on his iPod that he's playing. And like we grilled, we grilled hot dogs out in the street and we said, Hey, just bring something and show up. So that, yeah, we've tried to just make hospitality a normal thing for people to get together so that it's not, it's not like this to do. It's not like entertaining. It's not Martha Stewart. It's Mm -hmm. just, Hey, we want to actually make intentional effort to be present in each other's lives. Yeah. Do you have a definition, like a working definition for hospitality or, or something close? Hmm. You know, I think a lot of it is simply being present with people yeah. and it's being present with your attention and your time. It's being present with your money. Um, and I think it always, my husband likes to say that the God of the Bible is in the business of throwing great parties. Mm. And that is that has sort of been how we have tried to connect with people in our neighborhoods and um, in the church is by throwing great parties. And sometimes that looks like a taco truck in, uh, you know, an alley. It looks like bounce houses. And sometimes it's just like, Hey, yeah, we're, we're grilling the hot dogs coming over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think it's really just simply about being present um, because I know I can like get freaked out about, ah, oh, my house is dirty or it's not big enough. It's not nice enough. Um, and all of those things are revolve around me, but I think when we are open and we ask God to help us to be present to other people then those sorts of things kind of fade into the background. Yeah. Well, I really love that. I mean, I love that definition, just being present to people because it takes hospitality outside of this, 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 you know, sort of only when you invite someone to your house, you know, certainly mm-hmm. that is hospitality, but you know, I'm thinking of even a five minute interaction mm-hmm. can be hospitable in the sense mm-hmm. that you're present to someone yeah, or inhospitable in the sense that you're busy or on your phone or mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So, great. yeah, I mean, I really, I really resonate with that. What does it mean to just be present? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's such a gift because everyone is constantly distracted and self-referential. Mm-hmm. So to be present for a person is quite remarkable, I feel like. Yeah. It's good. So um, you uh, have sort of a haunting question that you ask in one of your chapters, and it's, um, what are you hungry for? And you talk about it in terms of how place can kind of reveal uh, when you're hungry for something, but maybe place doesn't quite uh, get to it. So um, what are you like, what are you getting at with that? I want to hear more with the question about hunger well or especially like like how does place help you get in touch with your hunger and even maybe your dissatisfaction Mm, yeah well um i don't know if your listeners are familiar but if they are i'm an enneagram four which basically means like that the idea of access to longing and ache is like always present going to, I feel like, have the same, like, oh, there's this deep longing (laughs) inside. So part of that is just kind of how I see the world. But I think, I think this idea of hungers is just my way of kind of reframing some of that stuff that Augustine said about, you know, we're restless until we rest in God. And so all of our hungers are met best in Jesus. And I think 
most of the time, I think we're just scared to go there or we don't know what that means or what that's going to like draw up in ourselves. And like, can we actually be loved? Would Jesus actually look at me and take it, you know? Um, and I'm going to have to reckon with who I really am. And so instead of doing that, I think we, we distract ourselves. And so we decide we're going to be present, you know, on our phones, or we're going to just like wholeheartedly follow all of these lies of the suburbs. And so we're going to like keep circling the suburbs in our minivans and going to Target and going to Costco and like overscheduling our kids. And yeah, Jesus might be a nice little thing, cherry on top on Sunday, but like we have not really dug into what does it mean to find home? What does it, what am I actually longing for? What am I hungry for? And how am I almost distracting myself from feeling my hunger pains? Because it's just, it feels safer there. But then it's like, what what's going to happen in 40 years when you get to the end of your life and you're like, I what did I do? Yeah. Those are my haunting questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and it's interesting you bring the Enneagram. Totally. I talk about the Enneagram all the time. I'm a, th- <laughs> I'm a three wing four, so I can definitely okay. get in I touch. I'm a four wing three. Okay. So, well, yeah. we're, we probably know some of each other's struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah, this haunting need to sort of be significant and be seen as significant. Yes. The three, four, four, three is just all about yep. that. Yeah. Um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there. Okay. So um, I do have a question because, you know, like, okay, so part of your book. <laughs> yeah. I just honestly, the first time I opened it up, I think I opened it up to the busyness chapter. Yeah. And I want to read part of it for yeah. the listeners because it's so good. Uh, so, um, the chapter is called circling the suburbs in in my minivan or busyness. Uh, and you write, I took deep breaths on little pink sticky notes. I again wrote my boy's soccer practice schedule, (laughs) hoping that the more I wrote it, the less frantic the schedule would actually become. It said, drop Porter off at four, drop off Camden at five, drop Ezra early at five 25, pick up Porter at five 30 home to prep dinner pick up Camden at six, eat dinner, pick up Ezra at six 45 and then homework showers and bed. Yep. <laughs> so, so here's, so here's my question. I think those of us that are parents and their soccer and all these other things, there, there is a sense that, um, like I hear people saying, well, it just is what it is. You know, this right. is the time of life where kids are in soccer and blah, blah, blah. And we're mm-hmm. so busy, but there's a sense that none of us feel like we have any control over it. You know, yeah. like, like we don't have choice over it. Like we just found out that my son, he plays club soccer and mm-hmm. his weekly practice time, he has two practices, but his week, one of the weekly ones is 4.30 to 5.30 on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But like Sunday afternoon into the evening, we always have the same people over, some of our best friends. Mm-hmm. And it really like, it, it like I, I, I emailed my wife the schedule mm-hmm. and I said, oh my gosh. You know, he has practice every Sunday from 4 to 5. But like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and it's a serious dilemma, right? So mm-hmm. how, <laughs> gosh, I'm not sure if you write about this or not, but how do mm-hmm. we sort of sort of deal with, confront that suburban yeah. mentality that, you know, kids are involved in stuff and, it, you know, it's all good, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. we don't feel like we have any sense of agency. Yeah. yeah. I think I would just encourage parents to like, you can say no. Yeah. Like if our job as parents is to be intentionally helping our children on the path to being formed into the likeness of Christ, 
what are we doing with our time, you know, with our rhythms, with how we spend our time, with how we spend our money that reflect what we say we value. And I think most of us just kind of go on autopilot. Like, I mean, since we moved here to the suburbs, like childhood sports are such a bigger deal, even than when we lived here, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 30 years ago. And yeah, I think I would just encourage families maybe to say like, what are we actually about? Um, you know, craft a family mission statement and it doesn't, and, and it can change and it doesn't need to be, you know, buried with you in the grave, but what are the things that you, that really characterize who you are as a family and know that you can say no, you know, um, that might mean like your kid plays rec soccer instead of club soccer. It might mean that your kid misses that, you know, we, we have historically told our kids like you can't play sports on Sundays because this is our only, you know, it's our day of worship. We are really trying to actually have a Sabbath um, as much as it's possible for being a pastor's family, as you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, like just to know that like all of these things are forming our children, they're forming us. And we, I think we just need to be really diligent and say, do I want this to, to be part of that story of formation for my child, for us? So that when they look back, you know, what's, the, what is the thing that's going to stick with them? That's going to, help them see their need for Jesus, help them want to be a part of a local church, um, help them to be generous, kind, empathetic, good citizens. Yeah. Boy, that's good. It's good. It's hard. Yeah, and then, um, you know, have other people hard. who are committed to doing it with you. So you're not like, I'm just the weirdo that doesn't, you know, do this that everyone else yeah. is doing. Do you involve your kids in those? I mean, of course you do, but like to what level do you involve yeah. your kids in those decisions? Like, for example, club soccer versus rec right. soccer or right. you know, yeah. no I sports do, on Sundays. Yeah, my 11-year-old, like all of his good friends are in club uh, soccer. And um, we have talked, one is just kind of like financially with four kids trying to play sports. Like that's not really going to happen. Or like, you know, we can't be traveling just logistically you know, an hour and a half for your soccer game. If, you know, other three kids have soccer games that are close by, like we don't have that many people. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, you know, so some of it is logistic, but I, you know, we have talked um, at least at this point in our family life of saying, you know, like you, like this is who we are as a family. And like, it's, it's not that we don't have enough money. Like we choose to spend our money and be generous to missionaries, to other church planters. We give to our church. Um, and that is how we're choosing to like form our family. And so we talk a lot about that. We also talk a lot about like, Hey, you know, when we are sitting around the dinner table, we've talked about like what things, you know, honestly you do have to give up certain things about, um, to follow Jesus. And so what does that look like? And, you know, our kids are quick to be like, well, I missed that soccer game on Sunday. Um, and at this point they're not, I don't feel like they are resentful towards it. That, I mean, that might be part of their journey. Um, because we're not trying to say like, Hey, this makes us special or better or more holy or something than other people who make different decisions, um, than that. But we have tried to at least say like, there is a reason why we're doing this. We're not just trying to be mean Mm -hmm. or like, sticklers. And when my son has had like a, you know, a championship game on a Sunday, we've been like, Hey, you know, we're, we can do that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's so tricky though. And I think we're just, we keep trying to be like, okay, how are we creating a family culture where they're free to fail? 
you know, where they are free to see how good Jesus is and how that they get to be part of something that's larger than themselves. It's not simply self-referential as well. And we fail every day. Yeah, every day. But, but, you know, that's part of (laughs) That's the journey. Asking for forgiveness, right, from your kids. So good. Um, Okay, Ashley, we just have a couple more minutes. So can I... Can I just, like, I have five or six sort of, I would call it sort of lightning round. Just give me your yes. best sentence or two yeah. on, on these words, okay? Got it. Uh, and we've touched on some of them, but um, belovedness. Yeah. So, I mean, being beloved of God, <clears throat> sorry. Um, yeah. Living in light of being beloved is something that is not natural to me. And yet I am finding as we root ourselves in God's, who God says we are, that we are his beloved, that if we are delighting in that, that he delights in us, it can really smooth out like arguments. I've noticed that like I was not doing that this morning, gotten an argument with my husband about you know, how we were dividing up our busy day. And yet if we, if we are rooted in who Jesus says we are, I'm confident that we'll be able to move more freely in the world. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Shalom. Mm, Yeah, I think Shalom is the wholeness of God for all people, places, things, um, the, the unity that we long for that, that kind of ache points to. Um, And so, yeah, my hope in, in the book is that, we would be excited to work for the shalom of our places, for the, its wholeness and good, which means that we are decentering ourselves and working for the goodness of God's creation and his relationship with human beings. Nice. Okay, locally grounded. Mm, yeah. I think for, I like to think, I love ideas. I have a PhD. I'm like, let's think all the abstract thoughts all the time. And I've learned primarily from my husband, who's much more pragmatic. Um, is like it, and even just in reading great, great literature, we need to be specific. We need to be concrete. Um, we need to actually get our hands and feet dirty in the places that we are so that we're not just talking about the suburbs out there, but we're, and we're not just talking about hospitality out there. We're talking about who is my actual neighbor who's 10 feet away from my door that I need to see and to acknowledge and to, um, to interact with. Yeah, it's good. Okay. And also oh, yeah. local churches too. I think where I am, a lot of people like we see the church as another consumer choice, um, and so we can leave when we don't. When we have a disagreement, we can leave if we don't like the worship style or whatever. Um, and if if we are grounded in our local churches and saying I am committed to following Jesus with this group of people, no matter what, I think it just can really heal our communities. Love it. Okay, yes. one one pastor to another pastor. Yeah. Is there ever a time to leave a church? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, yeah. I think right now we have right we have the luxury of being wedded to a place and to a congregation that other people don't have, and so sometimes being committed and called to a place means that you suffer with it, and it's also kind of an easier choice to make sometimes yeah. um, than a congregant. But I, yeah, I do think. There is a place. I boy, I am also really highly convinced that God doesn't call you away from something unless he's calling you to something. Like we never see these amorphous abstract calls. Um, well, I guess like Moses, like, you know, leave and go to a land I will show you. But maybe other than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of us you know, aren't probably Moses. Right. 
Right. Where there, there, there isn't the sense, right. Of, um, Abraham. Did I say Moses? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, okay. It's okay. Please edit that out. It's all good. Beep. <laughs> that's so bad. Ugh. I'll just, um, I'll just go like say Abraham super slow and then I'll just, right. I'll just paste Abraham. it back in there. <laughs> no, I'll just say, I'll say it again. Um, I'm convinced that just like that God in scripture does not tend to call people away from something. If he's not also calling them to something, you think of Abraham, he is left Ur, but then God does show him where that land is. So even though that could be kind of an, you know, an iffy one, but I think the question then is, um, you know, God is, is not simply calling us away. He is calling us to something. And I think there's, yeah, there's tons of reasons for being called away. Um, and that, but I think also as pastors, you have the, you have, you still need to pastor your flock. And mm-hmm. so it's not just like, Hey, bye, I'm cutting the chains right. and I'm going to the next cool little town over. But, um, to how can I care for these people in this transition if I am called away? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. Last one. Um, yeah. finding holy, this podcast that yeah. is in the hopper for you or has it started? I, sh- I should have checked. I've done some before. recording, but we're just going to be releasing soon. Okay. Well, tell us about that and how we can get in touch yeah. with that when it releases. Yeah. So it's called the finding holy podcast. And the whole idea behind it is connecting the dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life. So I really want to talk about theology and culture and belief and, but then also to, to help make it practical for listeners because all of these things matter, but so does the laundry. So I also ask all my, all my guests what their laundry routine is. So yeah. it's really fun actually to, you know, if, cause if we can't figure out how the kingdom of God has some application to how we do the laundry or make dinner or open up our homes or totally. our neighborly, then we're not actually living the full Christian life that God has called us to. Absolutely. Love it. Well, can't wait for that uh, podcast to come out. Um, so, uh, I am going to, on the show notes, I will put links to your website and to your book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much, Ashley Hales. Um, I'll point people to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those places. Uh, Is there anywhere else that we can find you or get in touch with you? Website's always good. Yep. Okay. And Twitter, Instagram, I'm, I'm always there. <laughs> okay. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you, Ashley. Uh, this was super fun, as I knew it would be, and very helpful. And I can't wait for people who are maybe looking to ground themselves locally in the place in which they have found themselves, whether they like it or not, um, <laughs> to pick up your book and um, to, to get some good good writing and some good instruction about how to be in place in a, in a, in a more grounded way. So thank you. It's yeah. such a pleasure to be with you. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it was my pleasure to, to host. So, um, have a great rest of your Friday, Ashley, whether it be picking people up or bringing people home or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. 
One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.